Hey, 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 what's going on out there? You have tuned into The Spoke He-Man, the only podcast that will give you a coverage of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and The Spoke Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche. That is both fair and balanced. I am Sifrel, and joining me as always is my co-host Henrik. I am Henrik, and joining me as always is my co-host Sifrel. My voice is a computer-generated voice. I've, like, ticked out of this project a long time ago. That's right, because that is an AI recreation of my old, or should I say former, friend Henrik. I used to do a podcast with him until he went and got radicalized. Like he's doing like a dramatic thing. Like the the, the Deus Ex Machina that's going to save them. Lo and behold, spoiler alert. Why do you keep saying that? Don't, don't, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Red herring, don't think about it. Um, okay. Anyway, I had to replace Henrik with old clips of him talking on the podcast. I used them to make an AI that I like to call Robo Henrik. I'm just a, I'm just a voice box in your music studio now. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. If anything, my life has officially ended now. Okay, don't be so hard on yourself. You can still have a long and fulfilling life after being turned into a machine. You know what, these days after EU directives and so forth, I, I think that's a very genuine statement. Indeed. By the way, if you hear slobbering and clawing, it is just a, a great dame looking at me right now. Sure, blame the dog. Now, let's talk He-Man, because I realized that I haven't really gotten into the roots of the He-Man show and why it was made. As you may or may not know, He-Man was first introduced as a toy line of action figures and toy cars and so on, and then they made the cartoon show afterwards to promote the toys. And they also made tons of other stuff like comic books and even a live-action movie all based off of these toys. So that's kind of interesting. Sort of the opposite of how that usually goes. As far as I've heard from you, like, the movie's real bad. Yeah, it's really terrible. But it does have a really great performance by Frank Langella as Skeletor. So yeah, He-Man is uh, really commercial to the core. And of course, I'm not a big fan of all this commercial stuff. I'm not a big capitalism fan in general, but these days I am begrudgingly starting to accept that sometimes you just have to make some money and not worry so much about the other stuff. So where the commercial nature of He-Man would really have turned me off not that long ago, these days I'm actually kind of fine with it. That's just how the world works. And it shows the kids that they need to work hard and sell to get anywhere in the world. Not like the fucking frackles that are just teaching kids to be unproductive and lazy and socialist. Dirty, filthy socialist frackles. Yeah, that just won't work here in the real world. On that note, as you know, I've started doing some ads on this podcast. I haven't sold out or anything don't worry it's just nice to get a little spending cash for once and since everyone else is already doing it why, why shouldn't i get in on the action fuck it give me some of that dirty capitalism let's get down and dirty into business and live by the money 
Oh yeah. And luckily, we've managed to secure a really good sponsor for this episode. I hope you're ready for this. A little capitalism never hurt nobody. Yes, let's let's go for it. This episode of The Spoke He-Man is sponsored by Shieldscare. Shieldscare is the only website you'll ever need for any purpose whatsoever. I use it all the time, and I'm not just paid to say that. Honestly, for real. Shieldscare is an online earning community. They will also mail you razors, underwear, and fresh ingredients, all mixed up in a box the size of a mini-fridge, whether you want them to or not. You don't even need to tell them your address or your credit card number. Don't worry, they already know. Shillscare knows all, Shillscare sees all. Let's face it, boys, Shillscare is all. It's orange peels, it's coffee grounds, it's wisdom. Yeah. For 2% off, go to shillscare.com forward slash backslash forward slash Build it beautiful. Whoa, and there you go. Beautiful. And with that out of the way, let's get into some The Spoke He-Man. I've got a really good feeling about this. I think this show is starting to come together now. I, I, I think it's a good match with these two items of intellectual property that I'm covering. This show is going to be really big and popular. I can feel it. Everything is going nice and smooth, and I think we can just take it easy from here on out. Nothing can rock this boat. They have to deal with it because this is a booming podcast. Oh yeah, it's blowing up. I've got a good feeling about this. Now, let's check in with our boy Zarathustra and see what he's been up to this time. After the prologue we covered last time, we get into the next section of the book, The Speeches of Zarathustra. And the plot kind of grinds to a halt here. So uh, maybe for the rest of the book we just get transcripts of various talks that Zarathustra has done on his speaking tour. That's too bad, because it's much easier to summarize and present some action and dialogue in a book club-like format such as this podcast, but um, oh well, here we go. Chapter 1. On the Three Transformations. So, first off, Zarathustra gets into the three transformations of the spirit. How the spirit becomes a camel, and the camel a lion, and the lion at last a child. So, as a camel, the spirit wants to carry all the heaviest burdens. And what are these heaviest burdens? Well, Zarathustra has taken a page from BuzzFeed and their listicles, and he starts checking them off. You won't believe what the top 10 heaviest burdens for camel-like spirits to carry are. Number one, lowering oneself in order to hurt one's arrogance. Number two, Letting one's foolishness shine in order to mock one's wisdom. Number three, separating from our cause when it celebrates victory. Number four, climbing high mountains in order to tempt the tempter. 
Number five, feeding on the acorns and grass of understanding and for the sake of truth, suffering hunger in your soul. Number six, being sick and sending the comforters home. Number seven, making friends with deaf people who never hear what it is you want. Number eight, stepping into filthy waters as long as they are the waters of truth and not repelling cold frogs or hot toads. Mm -mm -mm. I do love me some hot toads. Number nine, loving those who despise us. Hashtag love to all my haters. And number 10, offering the ghost our hand when it wants to frighten us. Ooh, spooky. Oh, you should be like a hockey presenter. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so uh, the weight-bearing camel-like spirit takes all these heavy things upon it to uh, carry, and then it goes out into the desert. But in the loneliest desert, the second transformation occurs. The spirit here becomes a lion. It will seize freedom for itself and become lord in its own desert. In other words, master of its own domain. You know, just like Jesus, the big transformation here happens out in the desert. Aha! See, 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 this is a book for smarties. For clever cookies like me! Out there in the desert, the lion spirit turns against its ultimate lord and guard and wants to defeat it. Zarathustra compares this lord to a dragon. Thou shalt is the name of the great dragon. But the spirit of the lion says, I will. You know, thou shalt, like the way the Ten Commandments are phrased. Like, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ass. So the lion spirit refuses to follow commandments from some all-powerful god. Instead, it wants to listen to its own will and desires. This is what the god dragon says. All value has already been created, and all created value, that is me. Verily, there shall be no more I will. So, why does the spirit need the lion? Why isn't it enough with the dutiful, load-bearing camel? That is to seize the freedom and the right to create new values. It can't create anything itself. But unlike the reverend camel, the lion can claim freedom and make way for new creation. The spirit used to love this, thou shalt, but now it sees the delusion in it. But why, asks Zarathustra, must the lion spirit then become a child? The child is innocent, a new beginning, a first movement, and saying a sacred yes. While the lion said no, no to the commanding God, the child says a yes to free will. And that is required for the playfulness of creation and attaining your own world. 
And those are the three transformations of the soul, from dutiful camel over the defiant lion to the playful child. And here we get the only stage direction of the chapter. Thus spoke Zarathustra, and at that time he was staying in the town called the Motley Cow. Great! What would we have done without that important piece of information? But it does sound like a nice town to stay in. I mean, I'm gonna plan my vacation right after this. I am. I am not bringing this this trashy book on my vacation. Oh, wow! Wow! I, I think you have made it clear already that you don't like this book all that much. Don't be a hater. Hashtag love to all my haters. Okay, so here we continue the anti-religious theme that Nietzsche stated so bluntly at the beginning of the book, saying God is dead. I think it's I think it's interesting that the spirit goes into the desert to have its transformation where it rejects God. Because as I mentioned, Jesus had his big transformation in the desert, which is where he rejected the devil and his three temptations. Oh, that's probably some deeper meaning going on there but i don't know what but one thing i was wondering is what happens to all those burdens that the camel spirit carried you know all this stuff about uh, befriending disabled people and loving your haters and scary ghosts climbing mountains and eating acorns the question is are these burdens aligned with the God that the lion rejects? Are they his values? Or are they still the quote-unquote good values from Zarathustra's perspective? Should these burdens also be carried after the spirit has become a child, or are they cast aside? As far as I can tell from the text, it doesn't say that the camel throws away its burden as it becomes the lion, or that the lion rejects the old values. Simply that the lion opens up for the creation of new values. So in this way, the past knowledge doesn't appear to become invalid, simply open to changing and evolving. However, it is possible that the top 10 list of values directly contradicts what Zarathustra preaches elsewhere. I simply don't know the philosophical framework well enough to judge that. So that may be the case. But at this stage, I'm gonna assume that Zarathustra still encourages making friends among the disabled and um, hanging out with frogs and filthy, truthful water. And let's just grab another chapter since they are so short. Let's jump into another section. And this chapter two is called On the Professorial Chairs of Virtue. This one's a bit different because the majority is not a speech by Zarathustra, but instead someone he is listening to. Zarathustra has heard about a wise man who knows how to talk well about sleep and about virtue. So he goes to hear one of his speeches. He talks about how to sleep well, and it almost sounds like something you could read in a self-help book nowadays. Mm -hmm. This guy has a system of 40 thoughts you should have each day. And I quote, Ten times a day must you overcome yourself. That makes for fine weariness 
and is opium for the soul. Ten times must you reconcile yourself with yourself again, for overcoming is bitterness, and the unreconciled sleep badly. Ten truths a day must you discover, else you will still be seeking truth at night, and your soul will stay hungry. Ten times a day must you laugh and be cheerful, else your stomach will disturb you during the night. And beyond that you should possess all the classic virtues. No stealing, lying or adultery. Behave well and don't get too greedy or wild. Then sleep will come to you all by itself as you lie in bed and think about your 40 thoughts. And I guess this sounds like a fine enough system if you feel the need to get very structured about getting sleep. But uh, when Zarathustra hears it, he finds the man ridiculous. But he does concede that he is probably good at sleeping. And in my favorite quote of the chapter, he thinks, His wisdom is to stay awake in order to sleep soundly. And verily, if there were no sense to life, and I had to choose nonsense, this would be for me the most choice-worthy nonsense. <laughs> yep, yep. That could easily have been a, like, fraggle quote. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but yeah, I guess it sounds kind of fraglian. But um, teachers of virtue, like this old man, belong to the past, Zarathustra concludes. Their time is up. I guess because it's time to focus on the overhuman. Blessed are these sleepyheads, he says, for they shall soon drop off. Yeah. So that was a cute little chapter, but I don't have much to say about it. If you have trouble sleeping, you might want to try the method out. I'm I'm going off to bed. I'm just uh, casually smoking a cigarette. No, 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 no. Wait a second. We are not done with the episode yet. And and you really should stop smoking, at least in bed. That's not going to create any problems. <laughs> uh, whatever. You do you, man. But beyond the sleeping advice, I guess this chapter serves as a way to contrast what Zarathustra teaches with what those who came before him did. And that's the Zarathustra for today. He's out there on his uh, speaking tour, and he's also catching some TED Talks from other people along the way. So, what's up with He-Man today? The episode is called Teela's Quest, and it was the second one to air. So, a quick summary of what happens. We have a nice little opening sequence before the plot kicks in. We open in outer space, where a spaceship is in trouble in an asteroid field. We learn that it is from Earth, which apparently exists in this universe, and they have mastered space travel. So that's already a lot of information to deal with just a few seconds into the episode. The pilot is uh, Lieutenant Malena Glenn, a woman, so that's pretty progressive. Oh, nice. How progressive for once. Yeah. Also, her last name is Glenn, as in John Glenn, one of the original astronauts and the first American to orbit the Earth. So is she a descendant of him or is it just a coincidence? Maybe, maybe she, she... We may never know. 
But uh, Marlena Glenn crash lands on Eternia, which is apparently a small planet. We then zoom out to a TV screen and twist! It was Prince Adam's mother, and this is how she came to Eternia. Adam is the son of an immigrant and the product of intergalactic race mixing. The show He-Man turns out to be more progressive than uh, I expected. But then again, strong female space adventurer Marlena Glenn gave it all up to marry a king and become a mom. So, eh, you win some, you lose some. She describes Earth thusly. There are no giant green tigers or magical castles, but it's a beautiful place filled with beautiful people. Agree to disagree. She's using this device called a memory projector to show what happened. So I can't even complain about her. Uh, how did they get a camera out to film her crashing in space? It's just her memories, we see. But as we also learn, you can just put this memory projector thing on people and it will show their memories, even if they don't want to. This feels like an assault of some kind and shows how iffy this technology is when it can be used on people without their consent. Um, we then cut to a little sequence with Man-at-Arms and Orko. Man-at-Arms, the soldier-type guy, is apparently a tech genius with a workshop, and he's the guy who made the memory projector. And he comes into his workshop discovering that Orko is messing around there. I didn't get around to describing this dude the last time, but Orko really is something else. He's a weird little flying guy with a big hat and scarf and a really annoying voice. His face is hidden by darkness and you can only see his bright yellow eyes and his pointy pale blue ears. He's able to perform magic and he may be a robot, I'm not quite sure. He's mostly used for comic relief, but like with everything else in this show, he just raises so many questions that are left unanswered. Anyway, Orko makes a music box out of some bomb parts, which Man-at-Arms just keeps in a box on the floor. And uh, when Man-at-Arms sees this, he gets really angry, but really, who's most irresponsible here? Mm, the music box? And the music box plays Mozart. Weird, but I guess Lieutenant Marlene Glenn could have taught... Orko some hits by old Wolfgang, who then put them in the music box. I don't know, but it's plausible, I guess. But really, the episode is about Tila, the female captain, who, by the way, wears a very skimpy outfit. Last time we were told that Man-at-Arms was her father. But now we get some details about this. Because it turns out that Tila is adopted and Man-at-Arms refuses to tell her about her parents, her mother in particular. So Tila wants to learn the truth about her parents, and I really hope that we find out her mother is Palpatine. So, Tila goes off to a dangerous crystal lake where there is an oracle who apparently will tell anyone anything. A kind of trash heap, I guess. Is the trash heap just going to come out of that door? Sadly, no, but we can dream, can't we? 
We then cut to Skeletor, the big baddie of the show. He has this friend Merman, who's like a weird fish man. Basically the love interest from The Shape of Water, but evil. Merman has beef with Teela, and the Crystal Lake is his home, so he goes off to catch her. She fights some monsters like a badass, but is then captured by the evil merman who wants to sacrifice her to a sea demon. She is still feisty and defiant and says, If it's a rematch you want, toad face, cut me loose. I'll give you one you won't forget. She's a pretty good strong female character, but alas, she's very quickly just captured. <laughs> she's just a bit too basic. Before leaving, Teela told Orko about her secret quest. And now he's just going around telling everybody. So Prince Adam transforms into He-Man because he's convinced that she needs rescuing. And of course, that does turn out to be the case. And the sorceress who lives in uh, Castle Greyskull and apparently is the eagle we saw in the previous episode, she flies out to help as well. Together they rescue Teela and send the demon back into the pit and let Merman run off after he's almost killed by the demon himself. Finally, with all the plot out of the way, we can get back to the point. Who is Teela's mother? The oracle tells the story. He reveals that the sorceress is in fact Teela's mom and she was about to raise her in her eagle's nest as the eagle. But the baby was almost stolen by Merman to sacrifice to the sea demon way back then. But Manadam showed up to chase him away at the last moment. He then adopted the kid to raise her safely in the king's palace. The sorceress confirms to Teela that this is in fact true, and one day Teela will become the sorceress and have to live in that dank old castle grey skull. And then, just for shits and giggles, she erases the memory from Teela. And now He-Man, who has been listening together with his cat, has to keep yet another big secret from Teela. Why isn't Teela allowed to know fucking anything? I don't know. I don't fucking know. But, um, yeah, that's the episode of He-Man. That's what happens. Wow. That is pretty much the episode this time around. Yeah. It's it's a it's a genuinely good kid show. <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. Art and commerce fused into one. Much better than that old fraggle nonsense. Well, before we move on to the analysis and compare the book and the show, I think we should take a little break. Because we have actually gotten some listener mail, which I think is very exciting. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice with some audience feedback. And good to know that people are listening and going along on this fantastic journey. I'm sure that they are very happy with the show and want to support it. But maybe they also have some criticisms and suggestions. And I am, of course, very open to this. Whatever can help make this show better and more popular, I'm all ears. Let's hear what they have to say. It's very, very exciting. Hello, Seafell and Henrik. Or just Seafell, I guess. I am a listener and fan of Fraggle Shrugged. 
maybe the only one, I guess. It doesn't seem like a lot of people listen to your show. After all, a show about Atlas Shrugged and Fraggle Rock has a very small potential audience. But I just happen to fit that demographic. I have spent my whole life loving Fraggles, and the latter part of it hating Ayn Rand. So you can imagine how sad it made me when you just stopped a third of the way through the book and only a fourth or fifth into all of the Fraggle Rock episodes. And you can also imagine how betrayed I felt when you released a new episode but then proceeded to sell out the concept completely. I really respect the efforts of Robo Henrik to keep the show on track. I guess I even like him more than the original Henrik, But I must admit that this new direction has been a disappointment, and I fear that it may have very serious consequences. Let me just state this as plainly as I can. Doing a podcast about He-Man and thus spoke Zarathustra is a very bad idea. Trust me. Trust me. Do anything but this. Why don't you read Zarathustra and just keep watching Fraggle Rock instead? Just do that. Please? I don't want to get too much into my background here, but believe me when I say, don't do this. Don't make thus spoke He-Man. Don't make thus spoke He-Man. I'm warning you, it will only result in misunderstanding, despair, pain, or something much, much worse. After all, who are you doing the show for? If not for me, kind regards, your only listener. Huh. Hmm. That wasn't really what I was expecting. No. I mean, I'm glad that there's someone listening, but I guess I assumed he would be more positive towards this new concept. <laughs> someone needs a hug. <laughs> he does sound a bit unhappy with the recent developments, but I can't believe he just told me to stop. That is a trashy fucking advice. Yeah, you said it, buddy. You, you know what? Fuck him. Fuck him. I'll continue with this show no matter what he says. And there we lost our one listener. That was wonderful. Well, so what? We'll get other listeners. We'll get a million listeners. This is a good concept, with a good chance at becoming a runaway smash hit. There's much more potential in Thus Spoke He-Man than there ever was in Fraggle Shrugged. On this show, we'll all learn to become better and stronger people, and I'll, we'll become successful and rich and able to pay our rent and shit. Ah, oh, this is a bummer. First I'm left on my own by Henrik, and now the audience abandons me. But I won't be stopped so easily. I'll make something of myself and this show. Just just hang on, dear listener. It will get interesting. Damn straight it will. But, um, well, where were we on this show? <laughs> so we're slowly like going into the analysis, <laughs> as you can hear. The deep, intricate connection between the the two cultural icons. Okay, okay, calm down. It's not that funny that we just got eviscerated by that by our demographic. 
But uh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. So uh, the analysis. Just a few quick observations from the episode, and then I'll try to cross-analyze He-Man with Zarathustra. I will just note that for some reason during the intro, He-Man punches the viewer directly in the face. I found that a bit aggressive. But um, some notes. When Tila arrives at uh, Camp Crystal Lake and jumps out of her speeder, there's a very strong male gaze-based shot in the framing because it just shows her butt right in front center as she jumps out and lands. And it's, this is a moment in a kids show that just focuses very strongly on showing a woman's ass. It's just, this, this is a fucking kids show, man. I know, but at least she's a strong female character. And this was the 80s, so that kind of fits. Although I think in this episode, she was like kind of underappreciated. Yeah. It was her episode, but she still had to be saved and was turned into a damsel in distress. And to make matters worse, everybody's lying to her and keeping her in the dark for no apparent reason. I see clear signs of gaslighting here. Yep. Um, but the Bechdel test actually passes in the conversation between Tila and the sorceress, where it is revealed that uh, she's her mother. So that's good. Meanwhile, Zarathustra hasn't had an actual female character mentioned yet. So um, He-Man gets more walk points than I expected. Which comes as quite a surprise. Yeah. Um, regarding the He-Man transformation... His pet tiger, Crincher, has to transform into Battle Cat. But he really hates it. Every time he just really objects. I feel bad for the tiger being forced into this lifestyle. It's just every time he says, no, please don't. When they do the transformation, the animation from the intro sequence is reused every damn time. There's a lot of reused animation on this show. You can tell how cheaply it was made. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, that shot of He-Man just punching the viewer. They're reusing that. They like that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the show also just has a very distinct visual style and a sense of blocking and framing. Like, there are so many shots where one character is really close to the camera and just turns and talks directly towards the viewer. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking where the characters just look directly into the camera. It's kind of curious. One place where this does sort of make sense is at the end of the episode. In a speech directly at the camera at the end, Tila gives the moral lesson that it's okay to be adopted and you should love your adopted parents. Great, thanks. So maybe we learned something. I guess we did. Apparently, every episode is going to end with a really forced moral lesson delivered by a character in the bluntest terms possible. I assume the producers probably did that so they could get some educational funding or something. But it is actually really convenient having the intended theme of the story just spelled out at the end. It's almost like a mini Zarathustra speech. Okay, and uh, on that note, I guess it's a good time to compare the two now. Uh, there's not really much 
overlap there, is there? Um, I don't think this time around there is a lot of overlap besides the like the metal part. Metal? What metal? Anyway, I'd better try to give it a shirt. Good luck. So Zarathustra had some themes of transformations, sleep, and uh, leaving behind the virtue teachers of the past. He-Man had something about parents, dealing with the past, and forgetting and remembering. Hmm, okay, let's see. This may be a bit hard. It's normal to get an erection under extreme pressure like this. What? No, that's not... Anyway, I think I got it now. The key is transformations. The cowardly prince Adam transforms into the strong He-Man, and in parallel, the pet tiger into battle cat. So this could be seen as corresponding to the transformation of the camel spirit into the lion spirit. From this perspective, He-Man is not the final stage. And to become more than just strong, he needs another level of transformation. I didn't even think about that, but that is a very clear link. Yeah, kind of clear. Um, There are other transformations at play in this episode. The space explorer transforms into a queen over time. Orko transforms materials to build bombs out of into a music box. He is scolded for this, but really that's a quite creative act and seems aligned with the transformation of the lion being willing to fight equaling the bomb. The lion's transformation into the playful child where being able to create and play equals the music box. That this is not appreciated shows that Eternia is struggling with the transformation from the camel-like to the lion-like, but isn't yet ready for the next transformation into the child-like. Another transformation is the sorceress into the eagle and back. She leads a dual existence spread across the two. The eagle, according to Zarathustra in the prologue, is the proudest of all animals. Tila, the secret daughter of the sorceress, will one day have to become the sorceress herself and take on her job. Thus, a duty from the past is waiting to be passed on to her. Tila is strong, like a lion, and may decide to refuse this duty passed on to her. This thou shalt be the guardian of Castle Greyskull. She was separated from this duty as a child, but she may only become childlike in spirit if she channels her lion-like spirit to refuse the destiny that is pushed upon her from the past. Tila journeys not to the desert but to a crystal lake, and she isn't able to defeat the dragon or demon with her strong will. Instead, she is rescued by the eagle, the secret mother that will one day place a great duty or commandment on her. And the moment she is rewarded with knowledge and understanding, it is taken away from her again. She is forced to remain unaware and not allowed to transform yet. She goes back to sleep, in a sense, back to living under the rule of the king and the law, like the wise man who teaches about sleep, according to whom the best sleep belongs to those that live under society's rules and virtues. To birth a dancing star, 
to become childlike and creative in spirit, to become the overhuman. Tila must first wake up from her unawareness and refuse the rules and demands that are thrust upon her. In this episode, she tried, but the status quo was too strong and she was forced back into her role of using her lion-like strength to defend the old ways. She still obeys the king that says, Thou shalt. Huh. Well, that was pretty good, right? Would you look at that? I actually did manage to relate the two after all. Didn't even think about that. That's a good, that's a good uh, connection we have going there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good job, me. See? This is going fine. There's nothing wrong with this podcast. It's a fucking great concept. I should have done He-Man from the beginning and not wasted my time with all that friggly fraggle crap. Woo! Ha. Yeah! <laughs> I can't wait to keep doing this show for a long-ass time. That guy who sent us that message, he clearly doesn't know shit. He's just a hater. But you know... Gotta love him. Love to all my haters. Zarathustra says so. And if you're out there, dear listener, please keep listening. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I promise this podcast will not disappoint. So what I'm thinking next is... Whoa, what the hell was that? What? It's, it, it sounded almost like an explosion of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's probably a good place to stop this episode here um, anyway yes so uh, thanks for listening and uh, do come back for more Thus Spoke He-Man <laughs> my plan is working perfectly <laughs> excellent 